The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the producer and those appearing in this show and do not necessarily represent the views of Dairy Cam, the town of Dairy, or any of its staff or affiliates. I can't help but feel good. I can't help but feel fine. Everything is in its place and all of it is mine. My name is Tom Dunneman and I'm here with my co-host Gail Brennan-Astasia, author of The Fruit You'll Never See. We want to welcome you to our show, All Things Recovery, currently sponsored by Sobriety Centers of New Hampshire. Here we discuss all topics regarding mental health, substance abuse, treatment options, and the mental health system itself. We will cover these topics by inviting guests from all facets of recovery, treatment, enforcement, and policy. The door is always wide open, and we want to be a resource. We take topic suggestions, and we always welcome feedback. This show is always dedicated to my friend and recovery warrior, Craig Barnaby, who dedicated his life to the well-being of others. Today, our guest is Captain Vern Thomas from the Derry Police Department. Captain, I want to welcome you to our show, and thank you for coming here and talking about the good work that you guys do. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So, first of all, would you mind introducing yourself to our community and kind of talk a little bit about um, what you do and how long you've been at the police department and what your role is? Sure. I'm the operations commander for the Derry Police Department. I've been doing that job for 20 years. I've been with the Derry Police Department for 42 years. Um, our role in operations is, is enforcement where I, I supervise detectives, investigations, um, all the patrol work and dispatch communication. So it's, it's kind of a broad thing, but, we, but it all connects, as you probably know. But you're on the ground. You see, you see everything that happens. Absolutely. And um, so when we talk about, obviously, our, our goal and objectives around this is, is about, about addiction and mental health. So has the police department seen an increase in mental health or overdose calls for service? over the years? Or? Well, with, with both of those, I'm glad you mentioned them together because I think they go together very well. I mean, one may lead to the other and vice versa. Um, as far as an increase in in overdoses, we had a slight decline in 20 of 21, uh, 2021. In the last two years, we've seen an increase. Well, 2021 was COVID. We had COVID, and, and the idea that yeah. we had less um, incidents we probably did not. There were people that were home and, and seeing what was going on at home and not necessarily reaching out to us. During that same time frame, uh, naloxone was being issued and in, in provided to us, and we were giving it out in various aspects of the town, whether the fire department or us or, or otherwise. So some of the cases that we would have seen as an overdose may have been mitigated by somebody else in the household, and they were home for these Right. So I can't say the number went down because there were less incidents. I can only say that we were called less times. Um, but we see roughly 80 to 90 cases of overdoses per year um, in about seven or eight deaths per year. Mm. Um, three years ago, we had 12 deaths. And as I said, naloxone became something that was more popular, and now the deaths seem to be decreasing. Once again, I can't credit that to the how many incidents are actually occurring, just how many times are being called. Yeah. So what do you do when you get a call and somebody is in a situation where there's mental health or 
addiction involved. Is it, if yeah. there isn't a crime, we'll start with that. We don't get called for addiction-related things. We'll say an, an overdose. Unless it's, unless yeah. it's an overdose. Right. And that's a medical issue, primarily. You know, we don't care about seeing somebody wear handcuffs out the door or any of that. The, the primary um, focus has to be on their health and, and getting them back to where they need to be. So that's a, it's a medical issue for us. And they get in an ambulance usually, and they're, they're taken to the right. hospital. Mm -hmm. So we don't really get to address issues with them about the drug use. Um, and they're not in a condition to hear it from us anyway. Right. Um, as far as the mental health aspect of it, when we see those things together, we work with the Center for Life Management, which is uh, our regional mental health uh, agency that covers dairy in this, in this general area. They do some great work. It, oh, they absolutely do, and they're always on the cutting edge of, of things. Um, we get them involved, and sometimes they can do the follow-up that we wouldn't get to do necessarily with someone that ends up in the hospital as a result of an overdose. Do you guys, res you know, respond to all medical calls? I'm just curious. Because I know different police departments do things differently. If there's a, a threat to safety, we go. If it's an unknown threat to safety, we go. If it involves drugs, we go. And if there's a crime involved, we go. Yeah. Um, otherwise than that, pretty much if we hear that it's, uh, you know, some, a shortness of breath or something like that that doesn't, and it, it, they're rated by the state when they give it out through E911 mm -hmm. to the fire department. So if it's a certain, like an alpha level call, we wouldn't necessarily go to that. That's like the lowest level of, of uh, severity, a uh, threat to safety. And then they have uh, Delta and Echo, which are the, the more serious where someone's life is, is at risk. We'll always go to those. Do you have any, or are you required to do any training? I mean, I know you've been on the force for a long time, but with respect or um, to gather an understanding about addiction and, and what it is, like what underlies um, well, Those behaviors. I guess in the in the very beginning of our careers, not mine necessarily, because that was a long time ago. But you know, in our academy, we we teach um, about addiction, drug use, drug recognition, uh, drug symptoms that, that someone might be displaying um, that may be indicative of of something else going on. Because we don't know who we're dealing with until we bump into them and then can observe them. So all of that is there. Um, impairment by alcohol. There's an extensive uh, training that they do with that. It's four days they, at the academy they spent just on that. Um, but moving forward, we have trained our staff in mental health first aid, nice. which is a, a significant program in terms of how to deal with someone that's going through crisis and how to properly in, intercede and not make it worse. Right. So we, we work with that. Um, as far as addiction is concerned, that does tie into everything I just mentioned to you. Yeah, because that was going to be my next question. Do you guys handle mental health differently? And it sounds like you guys do. You treat it a lot differently. What a lot of departments are doing now, and I'm not sure Derry does this. Again, um, that's why you're here, is they connect with either a social worker, but you guys have CLM. But some of the departments actually hire mental health staff at their police departments. Does Derry do that, or is it just a tie-in to... Uh, we don't have staff that, that serve that function because we do interact with um, Center for Life Management. Uh, by the way, I'm on their board for Center for Life Management, mm -hmm. so I've been able to see where, where they're headed with the work that they do. And I'll, if I can just give a quick plug for that, back yeah, when, we, when uh, we first started having issues with COVID, mm -hmm. um, people weren't allowed to be out and about in, in, in each other's company. Um, so that caused a problem for medical appointments and things. 
Well, CLM had been working on telehealth. They've been doing something with that already. Um, so they had some but things in place. Right, exactly. They had things in place that um, mitigated the COVID uh, response. And they actually saw more people making their appointments than less, which was very interesting. The state, at, at some point during the crisis, allowed that to be done in uh, regular medical calls, mental health calls. They allowed that. It, previously, it was Medicaid, Medicare issues, and so forth. But that, that was kind of waived for the time being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where that is now translated, I think, is, is there is more telehealth that goes on now for mental health crisis. And Almost everything is telehealth now. Yeah. We're able to, to get access to that kind of help right away. Um, there's a crisis team that works for CLM. And when we respond to a call and we determine there's a mental health aspect that needs nice. assistance, we can reach out to them and they will either respond or they can do something telehealth if they're out of position or, the, or it's a, a lesser threat, perhaps. Now, what happens if there's a criminal charge or a criminal call and coupled with yeah. somebody who's having a mental issue, mental health issue, or a drug or alcohol issue? Well, as I mentioned, when we go to, if it's a medical call, we always, a drug call in this medical aspect, we make sure that, that their safety is paramount for the person. It doesn't matter what their role is, but we get them help. And if there's a crime involved, same thing. We may have to address something tomorrow so that they can get the help they need today. So you would deal with the immediate crisis and then follow up? Yes. Is in a situation like that, is CLM also called? Like if, like say someone was arrested on a various charge and it turns out, because sometimes, you know, um, the arrest is the primary thing because of what the actual crime is. And say someone is arrested, is there a mental health follow-up if it's determined after the fact? I'm not sure how we would get there in yeah. terms of having that information, but um, some of the violent things that occur, if we recognize as an anger management issue, mm -hmm. mental health, um, or a substance issue, we can sometimes at an arraignment request that the judge impose certain bail conditions that require them to do something whether it's to start some sort of a treatment or check-in or abstain from alcohol, drug use, and, and check-in periodically. We can do some of those things, and I, I think that starts someone in the right direction, but it also helps us get to a problem before it happens again. But I can't imagine it's any different or a lot different in Derry than it is where I am because I, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, so I, I mean, I'm in that all the time, that people... Um, aren't repeat offenders, that this is, because nine times out of 10, it's somebody who's been there before. So, you know, in terms of getting the ball rolling, I mean, maybe keeping somebody, I guess, keeping an eye on people is, is what you're talking about. But as far as wellness or getting them started on something, it doesn't seem to be, in my experience, really what's happening. You know, it's really, like I said, more repeat offenders. So I'm asking, is that something that... Well, it, there's, there's two roads that we keep talking about. One is mental health and the other is drug addiction abuse. Um, and they, they, as much as they may be together, they're also pretty distinct. Um, so in terms of getting somebody help for their drug issues after they've been arrested, sometimes it, it, that happens at jail. Um, 
and for mental health issues. That may happen someplace also. Also, the Rockingham County Jail does have a, an area where of their jail that they treat people with mental health issues, mm -hmm. and provide assistance for that. Um, addiction, I'm not sure how how they're handling that right now, but there may not be a, something that we can do right now to help somebody that's a drug addict. The reason is that. 100% of the time, people are not asking us for help when we for their drug right. issue when we go to a crime they've committed. Which makes sense, right? Because right. you're the you're the person who will probably bring them to jail. <laughs> right. So right, they're not looking at you as the immediate help. Right, help is right. on the way. So right. do you think? Uh, and this might be kind of a loaded question, but do you think it would be a good idea for the police and the jail to to know? What one, what each other is doing, because when you don't know what the jail is doing in terms of addiction or treatment of addiction, that kind of leaves you a little bit in the dark. I I would say. Well, and, and yes and no. And the yes part is that we'd like to know what happens with our with our defendants. The yeah. no part is that I'm not overly concerned with how they do what they need to do to help somebody when they get to the jail. And they will probably have a more open conversation with the person that's being locked up temporarily, because it's usually temporarily. Um, they'll have more of an open conversation between the arrested person in the jail than they would with the police and the arrested person. We still represent a threat to their being caught for something that they've done, a possession or whatever it is. So we're, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to let them deal with that because I think that's the proper venue for that. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't feel that way? If they didn't feel like you were just the authority, that you were also somebody who could who could help them in some way? And, you know, again, criminal defense, I wouldn't I would tell my client to go tell the police something, you know, that would incriminate them. But, but I, I think I like the concept that you're you're putting out, but. You have to remember that whatever happens with these folks to begin with, however they got to the state that they're in, that they met the police, they've done something wrong in most cases. Or they've been, yeah. it's assumed that they've done something wrong. Well, you, yeah, <laughs> presumption. If you're, a, if you're a person that's addicted to substance, you probably don't work because you probably can't work. Um, depending well, on your level of addiction. Well, let me just tell you something, and, and I've disclosed yeah. this. I mean, I've been 21 years sober. I worked, I went through law school actively using yeah. fentanyl. So I, I'm one of those people who, and, uh, I, and there are many people like me. I'm not I'm not an exception, and I know this because of the work that I do. And, but, and also, too, I drank and you we're, we're did both, stuff we're as both. a cop. I was drinking and working, which leads to another question I was thinking about, too, is, um, law enforcement and substance use. I mean, are they doing anything different in regards to educating police in regards to maybe self-care? Because I know when I was on the culture, and maybe you too, Cap, uh, the culture was drink. And I don't know, again, I've been retired 10 years now, so I don't know if that has changed. And if they're doing anything different to educate, provide resources for folks. There are, we have employee assistance through the town of Derry, yeah. and, and it, it covers everything you can think of that you might need assistance with, whether it's financial things or any substance issues, whatever it is. Um, we also have some peer-to-peer -peer wellness things that we right. do. Um, we, we do critical incident debriefings peer-to-peer, -peer and we do it confidentially. So if someone that has an issue with something they've seen or dealt with, they have 
the ability to privately discuss it with somebody and get it off their chest, which takes us to an area that we're all very concerned about, and that's, you know, suicide mm -hmm. and, and other things, alcoholism, maybe other things like yeah. that. We have lawyers helping lawyers. We have something similar. Yeah, I think it's important because I think... Well, it's a dark it is. field. I mean, the whole criminal... What, just it really is. You're dealing... Because we're dealing with mental health and yeah. addiction and alcoholism. And, and when, you're, when you're a cop and you're going from call to call to call, and then in today's climate which has been very difficult for law enforcement to fund the police and all these other things. You know, it, and I can tell you from experience, it's very, and then I didn't even work in that time. It's very easy to feel alone. It's very easy to feel hated and to become very cynical and angry. Talking from experience. I can see that. Yeah. No, you I can see it in my face, but. I mean, no, but, I can but, but again, the cops suffer too. And I think we have to bring attention to that sometimes. But I think... Well, and you burn know, out, burnout. I mean... Yeah, I think what's happening today is a, is a shift where they, they're actually paying attention to that. You know, that yeah, cops suffer too. I think there are more resources than, than when you first started, and certainly more than when I first started, right. that are available to officers. The, the thing is, you can make things, and whether it's law enforcement or the people outside that we have to deal with, you can have resources available as much as you want. If people won't take advantage of them, then no one's going to benefit. Um, where I've seen things change in law enforcement is that people are more on the job are more likely to go peer to peer yeah. and participate in these things. And, and there's no no stigma to it. There's no right. oh you're a coward or any of those things that or you're, you're weak. We don't think that way anymore. I mean, right. if, if that was a thing, it's not a thing any longer. Um, and it, we've been doing this for a number of years now. We do critical incident debriefings. You know, we may respond to a dead baby call or a, a serious crash where someone's killed or, or some, some other uh, significant thing. And we offer the opportunity for people to have intervention if they would like to have that. And the intervention isn't intervening with their problem. It's a matter of we're going to put you all in a room and let you debrief. Um, when we first started doing it, we'd get a couple of people that would do it. Now I'll get the entire shift from the fire department that worked that day and the entire shift from the police department that worked that day sitting in that room doing the peer-to-peer -peer debriefing. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the word stigma because that's exactly why we both disclose our right. histories and why I wrote the book because you said earlier that people who are suffering or experiencing, whatever, I, I choose not to use the term suffering with addiction, mm -hmm. but who are experiencing addiction don't work like that's a and that's a common misnomer you know and it, but it's just not true it's not true and well, I know it's not this, everybody you know no, clearly but, isn't it, everybody. but it's not even the majority right. it's not even the majority I mean we're examples of that and right. and I know so many people I know so many people that I work with and also to a delineation um, I believe addiction is mental health I believe addiction is a mental health issue I think um, you can't there is no separation between the two. And then a lot of people have both. You know, why do people use? Well, the, the main, one of the main factors people use is pain. Yep. Well, that's Trauma, right. Absolutely. Pain. That's, always that's pain. been my, my own personal experience. And, and look, my whole family, your family, I mean, six kids, Cap, all of us alcoholics, addicts. My sisters are all very, very successful people. One would run ran a medical center, you 
and is now dead. So, and, and again, it and was... And people from good families, people good, yeah. from difficult backgrounds, people from, I mean, it doesn't... And yeah. I think, I'm one of the people who thinks that the police and judges always, that judges see people in a different kind of way, um, would benefit from this kind of understanding and knowledge from being in a position of seeing and and speaking to people who are in you know our positions that right. are that's why we're doing this show because we yeah. want that knowledge you know the we, education and we want connection this is about connection it's about everybody working together to to make a difference to save people's to save people's and I think the police do the best they can with what they had. I mean, back when I started, I'd lock up the same person 15 times. I have a, um, my wife's cousin, he, he, he actually was a success story, he ended up dying of hepatitis, but he was an IV drug user for years. He used to get arrested for shoplifting all the time. And it was, a, every time he got arrested, he fought the cops. And then he'd get into the jail cell and it'd be... And he'd get a resisting and a disorderly and a... You know, and then he'd say, is Officer Donovan working tonight? <laughs> but, but he couldn't help it. He, couldn't, he could not control his behavior under the influence. You know what? And then we get into, is it a choice or isn't it? Right. Well, why did he pick up to begin with? Why did he... Right. It's, <laughs> it's such a complex problem. Let me just share something with you. you know, when, Please. Uh, for... And we'll, I'll use the word for the last time, at least on this side of the discussion, about the stigma. Who do you think I meet? Do you think I meet the people like you who are going to school and maybe using fentanyl and, and going back to your door? Well, there was no maybe about it, but... <laughs> or do you think I, I meet people who they don't have access to other resources? No, no, I understand I understand where you're coming from. There's I get... a significant population of people that I deal with who are exactly what, you know, they're going to... They don't work. I see yeah. them all day long until later in the afternoon when you see them staggering. Yeah. Um, there, there are things like that that we see all the time, and that's unfortunately for the world. That's who we get to meet the most. Right, and that's why we're yeah. trying to shine a light on the whole picture because you're getting a very limited picture. You're getting the picture of the people who are in a different position where they're committing crimes because they don't have access to whatever you know like that's well then we could get into a system problem <laughs> well and but that's those people don't have access because of the system they, and, and the unavailability of that absolutely because if they did then maybe those folks wouldn't be because let's face it you you do see the same people all the of, time of because course. they can't get the help or they don't get the help or they don't like they're not wanting the help like you're right you're right the, the people, willingness is a, is significant there, I believe, from what I'm seeing, that there are people that are content with it, or it's the life, the life they know. I don't think they're content. It? I think they just don't believe that they can have a better one, because well, that don't. was my experience. Even though I was, I did law school, I still had the same feelings that I had before. People that. don't it know was, what they don't know. That, that I've had all some, very true. I've had some people and some some clients that all they knew was addiction. They were raised, they were crack babies, or they. Mother and father used, in in fact, recovery and not using was the odd thing for them. Right. It was the big adjustment. And impossible. And, yeah. It, and for someone to come to that realization and for someone to say, I got to change my entire life and step away from what I knew. And, and I have a choice. 
<laughs> I have a choice. It's, like that's not even some people. So you deal with those folks too, and and the, you know we we deal with those, and every time is another opportunity yeah. perhaps to try to steer them in yeah. a different direction, but people that don't want to be steered aren't going to be steered by me. Um, right. But there are many that do. There, there are absolutely many. I, I think sometimes you guys are the start. Sometimes, like you say, you, you may, because of the police action, might be the start of the process. Like, like you said, you mentioned drug court in our previous discussion. You know, people can't get in to walk in and say, I want to go to drug court. No, there has to be some type of police interaction usually for someone to go into drug court. So I think the police are the, well, they're the gateway to a lot of different things, but that's sometimes it's the, the opening up that door or that push that someone needs. And I know we don't have a lot of time, but at some point I'd love to discuss um, addiction versus incarceration because I think that's a whole that was a, I think that's a whole that's show. That's a thing to bring up at the end of the... I know <laughs> it is. But I think, I think it's, you know, and I, I, th I could see, you know, you can see an argument on both sides that, yeah, people need to be held accountable, but if we don't address the problem, then the crime's going to continue to happen. And that's been a big debate. We could do two shows. We'll have to have you back for that question. That's the... I think so. So let, let me tell you where we are now. We're probably running out of time, but we work with South Central Public Health Network, right. and, and they address a bunch of different health issues, not just drugs or alcohol or, or those types of things. But we've, uh, working in conjunction with them, we've been able to establish what they call a nalox box, and that's naloxone and some other things that are necessary to help someone mitigate an overdose. Harm, redu harm reduction. That's and we have one of those upstairs here in this building. Right. Our goal of working with them is to try to get more and put any place there is an AED, we would like to have a box like that as well. Um, and that's a, a hefty goal, but we've started it. And those, those will get to the people that I don't get to meet under right. other circumstances, I think. But I think it's going to be very effective. Yeah, and I think, again, I think that uh, you guys, are, the police, is, the, the role as police has remained the same, but there, there's some more effort to affect change, especially when it comes to mental health. I, I see that. Usually when, when we are getting ready to end the show, Tom says, can you tell us, tell people where they can reach you? But I guess <laughs> they probably Well, don't. right. Or, or also, too, one. how does someone contact, you know, if they need services in the town of Derry. I mean, we, we, I will also mention it in closing, but is there any specific place people can go for help? If someone needs help, they need it now, call 911. We'll sort out whatever it is they need. We'll respond. If it's mental health assistance they need, we, we summon that. Um, it's something from us. We will help them with that. But there's also a 211 line in, in this state. Um, you call that, and you can get just about any kind of assistance that you need, referrals for that assistance. Um, I'd strongly encourage the 211. If you're hesitating at all, call that number and find out what's out there. Um, if you're having a trauma or a crisis right now, call 911 and get some help coming. And also, too, don't forget the doorways, the doorway programs. Um, I'm not sure who, I think it's in Nashua. I'm not sure Derry has one, but the doorways in some of these recovery centers Friendship Center is another good resource in Derry. So, you know, for folks that are looking for even just a direction, obviously, if it's a crisis, 911. So, um, so in closing, um, I just want to encourage people to continue to tune in. We're here to provide resources. Um, and again, just like Captain Fern said, 
Um, if you are in crisis, please dial 911. He also mentioned 211, which is a very important resource. And by the way, 211 helps with a lot of different questions. Mental health. I even They will even help you with financial, legal questions and a mm -hmm. bunch of different things. Just don't hesitate. And also, too, if you're suicidal, um, use 988, the Suicide and Crisis Line. Just remember, ask for help, seek support, and do not do this recovery thing on your own. There's always help out there. Thanks again for tuning in. Opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the producer and those appearing in this show and do not necessarily represent the views of Dairy Cam, the town of Dairy, or any of its staff or affiliates. Okay.